There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 393. Well, usually I promote stuff, but now I have to promote some crap news, which is uh, I was supposed to perform in Minneapolis at the beginning of September, and I have to cancel those dates. I'm so, so, so sorry. Uh, if you had already purchased tickets, I was going to be at Acme in Minneapolis. The problem is that um, that those shows were set up before we went back into production for the uh, Talking Bad, and it's live on Sundays. And, and I am I am not able to travel back uh, to Los Angeles uh, the same day that we have to be on the air live. Uh, because if anything happens, if the flights are canceled because of weather, if anything, uh, I am screwed and and possibly uh, really fired. So I am not allowed to uh, travel back the same day that we have a, uh, a tape day. Um, so I'm so sorry. The shows will be rescheduled, and um, please don't be mad at me. Uh, but if you aren't going to come see the show, then this doesn't affect you at all. You're fine. Everything's great. This episode was brought to you by Audible.com. Uh, if you go to audible.com slash you can get a free audiobook download. Might I recommend David Sedaris' latest book, Let's Explore Diabetes with Owls. Uh, that is available on audible.com right now. Um, listen whenever you want, wherever you want. Uh, if you don't want to get that one, they have over 100,000 titles to choose from. Every genre, Audible has you covered. Again, that's audible.com slash Nerdist. Get your free audiobook download. This episode of the podcast is Vince Gilligan, who is the creator and showrunner for Breaking Bad, which is about to come to a close. On Sunday, August 11th at 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, Breaking Bad will begin the first of its final eight episodes, and uh, it's going to be a bummer. It's going to be a bummer, because it's uh, one of the best shows in the history of television, and it's going away after after only five seasons. But uh, we will be on doing Talking Bad at 11, um, so it'll be Breaking Bad, Low Winter Sun, which is a new AMC show, and then us talking bad for a half hour. Vince Gilligan will be the guest that night on the first episode uh, with Julie Bowen from Modern Family, and then, uh, and then every week after that for uh, seven more weeks. Then uh, we will have cast members and, and other folks that you might recognize who are huge fans of the show. And we will try to take uh, take you guys through the the morning process of losing uh, Breaking Bad uh, in a in a fun, respectful way. But uh, Vince, who also was an EP on X Files, uh, is uh, just 
a fantastic guy. I mean, we thought we were only going to get an hour with him. And, uh, you know, I took a bunch of questions from Reddit. We had uh, just, I kind of grilled him about talking about Breaking Bad for probably about an hour and 40 minutes. And, um, and his, his answers were great and, and thoroughly satisfying. I would like to say that there are way, way, way a lot of spoilers in this. So if you're not caught up on Breaking Bad, then you might want to skip this episode. And uh, if you are, then uh, I think it'll be a nice companion piece as we go into the final eight. So here you go. There's podcast number 393 with Vince Gilligan. Now entering Nerdist.com. Jonah. Jonah, nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet Matt. you. Matt, nice no, to meet you. That's Kyle. Hi, Kyle, close the door, will you please? Let Mr. Gilligan sit down and get comfortable. Um, I don't hear shit. You can't hear anything? Uh, Maybe you're not. How about now? There. Oh, hi, me. These are some headphones for you if you All like that right. sort of thing. Sure, I'll put those on. I'll turn this off so it doesn't ring. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go do not disturb. I'll do it too. I'm not going to do airplane mode. I mean, it's appropriate. The guest is doing it. We should do it. <laughs> just, <laughs> like, just, like the, just like on flights now, they're like, airplane mode is not acceptable. You yeah. must shut your device off. You don't have to. Oh, don't worry about it. Sorry. I have, I have a phone uh, invented by uh, Alexander Graham Bell himself, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, it was it's his, huge. It was, it was his beta model. Yeah, yeah. Every phone is really long. Every phone call is, Vince, come in here, right? need you. <laughs> that's right. I get splattered with acid every time I use it. Yeah, that's a good ringtone. I want that as a ringtone. But just, yeah, just Jonah, come in here. I need I you. Need you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I know how incredibly busy you are this week, what with the final eight episodes and everything, sure. so it was very kind of you to come in. And uh, yeah. But you're done. Well, you're on vacation, right? Is that better? Do you want to go yeah, this better. Do you want to do this in real life? You, I'm, I'm fine doing it like this. It's good. You're like okay it? without headphones? Yeah, I think good. so. That's yeah, fine. I think so. Yeah. You guys keep yours on. All right, now, you turned off his phone, I mean. I'm, I'm keeping mine on. All right, whatever. Yeah. Why do you need to keep yours on? I'm because you love the sound headphones. of your own voice? I do. Mm, I sure love it. I'm going to keep talking. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt the flow, and I'm happy to be here. There is, there is no flow. Welcome we? to the Nerdist Podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank um, you for having me. I was very uh, – so I just want to kind of get this right, right off the bat. Um, I was excited but very nervous when they came to me with the idea of doing Talking Bad because, um, you know, on, uh, on, on Talking Dead, I have uh, – kind of Spongebob energy. Right. And so I, I, I didn't want people to think that I didn't know the difference between the tones <laughs> of the two shows and that I would come on a Breaking Bad like, the hashtag this week is Walter's bald head. <laughs> or, you know, or whatever. Um, but a long I, hashtag. Revise but, it. But I know that... Uh, <laughs> But I, I've been I've been very uh, adamant to tell people we're not coming in on commercial breaks and doing that. I'm not doing that stuff. The show is you know like I, people can be happy to know that the the emotional tone of Breaking Bad will remain intact. But uh, here's the thing: don't worry about it. First of all, we're lucky to have you doing this thing, and second of all, it's going to be awesome. Second of all, we we laugh so well. I always it's it's past tense now, but we laugh so much in the writers' room on this show. It's it's we try to make listen. The show is dark as hell i mean <laughs> but we put in as much humor as we put in on breaking bad and we have as much fun in the writer's room uh, as we humanly could past tense now that it's over mm-hmm. and so you know if it's you know it it it's not uh it does not have to you know it, it doesn't have to be deadly 
you know, serious or anything, just because right. the show was dark, and we, you know, we had fun making it, so uh, we should have fun talking about. it. And you it. like comics, like you. There's oh, yeah. some you have uh, Bill Burr, Lavelle Crawford, oh, yeah. Odenkirk. Oh yeah. I oh, even yeah. heard you reference a, a Wise Kids You Know sketch once in an interview. I love those guys. Yeah, yeah, those guys are great. Why didn't that show last longer? I think it, it was on for a years, while. Yeah. It was really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to go see him in New York when I was out there. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, it should have. Uh, more people should know about them. Those guys are funny as hell. Yeah. Yeah. I love and the Trevor still does a ton of stuff. And okay. Zach is like an actor now. Okay. So when you when you see guys like that, do you or like or if you see Bill Burr, you're like, fuck, I gotta find something for that guy. You know, I hate to admit, I was not uh, aware of Bill Burr until uh, he was brought to my attention by Sharon B. Alley. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sharon B. Alley and Sherry Thomas were our wonderful casting ladies, uh, casting directors on Breaking Bad. And uh, Sharon called me up and said, "There's this guy, Bill Burr. He's a stand-up comic, and you need to, and he really wants to be on the show, and you should really check him out." And I looked him up on YouTube, and I was just laughing my ass off. He's hilarious. But he's yeah. really good on the show, yeah. too. Yeah, he's really good. And he's really good when he's funny, but he's really good when he plays it straight. I, my, my theory is that uh, if you can do comedy, you can do drama. Right. It doesn't flow the other way, necessarily, though. <laughs> I think if you can do comedy, you, you pretty much necessarily, if you put your attention to it, you can do drama. But not necessarily. If you are a very self-serious actor or actress without a funny bone as it were i don't necessarily think that a dramatic that every dramatic actor can do comedy because well, comedy is tragedy based essentially and yeah. drama is not comedy based yeah you know what that's that's a good way to look at it that that really i think there's truth to that there's all the rules of drama in other words apply to comedy but not but all the rules of comedy do not apply to drama yeah it, it flows the one way but not the other so yeah. we'll, we'll definitely i definitely want to talk breaking bad which i'm sure you're this week your your lower jaw is probably going to fall off having to talk about about the show <laughs> so we'll just talk about talking bad <laughs> I mean, that's what the people are going to be tuning in but for. uh but um i, I want to kind of go back and just sort of talk a little bit about your early career because i discovered today that you wrote a movie that i fucking loved in the 90s, which was Wilder Napalm. Holy shit. You're, you're the guy that saw that movie. Loved. Did you ever see Wilder Napalm? No, so. we didn't. It was Dennis Quaid <laughs> and Deborah Winger and Arliss Howard. And it was Arliss? just these these two guys. That's weird. I've seen all of the Winger movies. No, you didn't You didn't see this one. <laughs> these two guys were basically like pyrokinetic. Yeah. And it, they were brothers. Yeah. And it was just sort of about, it was sort of a comedy about them and Deborah Winger was in the middle. And I just... I loved that movie so what? much in the 90s. And Damn. when I saw that in IDP, I was like, holy fuck, he wrote Wilder Napalm. <laughs> I adored that movie. Really? Yes. Wow. So was that your first big thing? That was the first movie, the first thing that, yeah, the first uh, thing that ever got made professionally. I mean, not counting student films. Yes, that was my first movie. That was the first movie that I, not the first script that I wrote, but the first movie that, that went into production. And uh, shot down in uh, Sanford, Florida in, like, 1992. Got to visit the set one time for about two, two and a half days <laughs> with my brother. My brother Patrick and I went down there and visited the set. And I uh, uh, made a, 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 a lifelong friend from it, uh, the production designer, a guy named John Mudo, who's a very talented production designer who pr- production designed the movie. And uh, otherwise, I have not seen it since it came out. Really? It, uh, no. Wow. <laughs> it, it's... Uh, it's, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm proud of it, and uh, and the director did a nice job with it, and all the actors did a good job. It's just the problems I have with it really are script based. I there was there are things about the uh, about this. I'm a different writer now than I was then, I, and I'm not I'm not trying to convince no, you to, no. to not like the movie. I just I find it a little. Uh, 
it feels force for it would probably if I, you know I need to watch it again because I'm I'm being unfair if I haven't truly seen it. In well, it 15, was twenty. 20 it was twenty years it ago. It was. It feels in my memory of it, it feels a little forcefully quirky. Uh, you don't have to try that hard to be quirky. I feel like I was trying hard to be quirky. I was trying hard to to write dialogue that was. The dialogue for me now is a bit self-conscious. Uh, yeah, I, I place the blame of the things I don't like uh, about it now on squarely on myself. I mean, I, I would have written the, the script a little differently if, if I if I had to do, to do it now. But having said that, I'm, I'm, I was lucky that it got made. I learned a lot from the process. Uh, I met uh, uh, Ricky Jay on mm-hmm. the movie. Yep. Ricky Jay was hired to uh, to to uh, help out with some of the. Uh, some of the sort of the, the the visual gags of you know starting fires and you know flash paper type stuff or, or whatnot. I'm not sure all the all the details of, of what he added to the movie, but I'm sure it was a great deal. He was a great guy. So where does where does Quirk live then for you? Is it it's not in the necessarily in the words? Is it more in the situation or the? It lives on D Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> it you know what uh, when characters are trying to be entertaining. That's uh, when they're trying to entertain some unseen audience. That if if the reality of the movie, if you take the reality of the movie as 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 given, if in other words, it's a fictional movie, but if you assume that you're watching real people, people who try to entertain an invisible audience that's not really there is the best way I could put it. I feel like some of my early writing was was sort of self-conscious in that sense, like the. People talking were, were trying too hard to be to be uh, to be to entertain an invisible audience that wasn't necessarily there. And in the case of Wilder Nathan, truly was not there. He really did. He really did. We are constantly trying to entertain an invisible audience, and we try too hard. I'm just trying to piss them off. And you're doing well. Thank you. Um, I, it's weird how I worded that. I, there, there is an audience, but I mean, no. The, but the actors, the can't actors be know there's an audience, but the characters don't know there's. They an can't audience. be self-conscious. And when you write it, that. Uh, you know, it's just like dialogue that wouldn't actually fit in anybody's mouth, you know, that kind of thing. People, unless people are very, you know, we've met a few people in our lives who are very weirdly Baroque and, and, and you know, the way they would, the way they would uh, come across and whatnot. But by and large, people talk like we're talking now. They talk like normal human beings. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> I so. concur. Mm, but, I'm, but I'm glad you liked the movie, man. Did, did you feel like that? You know, I, I am. So. Did you feel you sort of learned then? I mean, do you think, because you were a young guy when you wrote that, so yeah. do you, that's sort of a young person thing to do of like, I'm going to show everyone how clever I yeah, am. Yeah, that's a better, you see, you just said in like two words what it took me, like 48 <laughs> fumbling words to say. I felt like it was overly clever, like I was trying to show uh, people how clever I was, and I, I, I was not as clever as I needed to be, so. And then from then, uh, uh, was X Files the next thing? Uh, yeah, the X Files. Uh, yeah, I, I came on the X Files. I wrote a freelance episode of the X Files, uh, see, late season two. That was 1994, and I flew myself up to Vancouver. I, I said, "Could I visit the set?" And they said, "Yeah, you can visit the set, but we can't." I said, "Ah, man, I'll, I'll get myself up there. Just you <laughs> let me show up." And uh, showed up and uh, had such a great time meeting everybody, watching them shoot that episode. And then uh, I got offered uh, a job uh, 
you know, being on the staff, and I worked on that show for seven years. In the midst of that, uh, my second movie got made. It was something called Home Fries. Yep. With Drew Barrymore, Luke yep. Wilson. And uh, that one has script problems at the end, too, that uh, we all understood were there, but I never was able quite to crack them. So the ending's a little off. And, again, that's the, that's the fault of the writer, not the actors or the director. When you, uh, when you, you know, did the freelance episode of X-Files, and then do you think that trip you took out there and, like, meeting everybody, do you think that had anything to do with you getting hired? Like, it's like he wrote a good episode and he was, a, like, a good guy to have around. Or oh, do you good think the question. episode was so good that they were just like, we just got to hire this guy? Good question. I never, th- you know what? Probably it didn't help or hinder the fact that I went out there. Uh, there were people on the on the set, including uh, the guy who uh, plays uh, uh, Frohickey. Uh, Tom Braidwood was the AD, was the first <laughs> assistant director. Uh, and I remember meeting him. He was, I could t- tell just by his general disposition, like, who is this asshole? Why, why, is, he, why, is, he, why is he interrupting? Why is he talking to the actors when I'm trying to get them corralled and, and shooting uh, shooting their next scene here? Uh, I think... Uh, I think they were in desperate need at the time. Chris Carter was in desperate need for 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 uh, for writers yeah. uh, who 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 got the voice of the show because it was a, a kind of a tricky voice to, to to nail down. And I think I I really got there at the right right place at the right time. I think uh, is the best way to put it. Uh, uh, I don't know though. Maybe I know that, you know enthusiasm in all its forms is attractive to people. Uh, I was. Yeah, I was happy that the folks who worked on my show were enthusiastic. The ones who were more enthusiastic were the ones that I probably liked more. So ultimately, the answer to your question may indeed be yes. It was like oh. it was like they I, they knew I was an enthusiastic fan. Maybe that helped me get the job. Yeah, yeah. did they do that a lot in that series of just uh, freelance uh, episodes being written by other writers? Uh, they were so in trouble that particular year, season two. The show was starting to take off, and and uh, Fox, as I remembered, up the order to twenty six. So they had <gasps> two they had two episodes, and at the end of twenty four, twenty six hours of television. Oh yeah, and at the end of twenty four, you're just like, oh my god, I'm dying, I'm yeah. dying, and now I got two more to break and. Write and produce and edit and she blah, blah blah. So uh, everyone was burned out. They needed somebody to come in and uh, and they just took a flyer on me. Yes. Uh, wow. So. so it seems like there's it seems like there's this. Uh, I feel like when your name comes up, there's a very specific feeling. It's like oh, he likes you know this idea of you know with the exception of Home Fries, uh, these movies are all sort of there's some sort of fantastical element. Whether it's pyrokinesis or whether it's aliens or whether it's a, a chemistry teacher cooking meth, yeah. that then you have or Hancock, uh, yeah. uh, then then there's you have to figure out how to ground it somehow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's the balance? Like, how does it... It's almost like you're trying to keep the paddle ball from snapping off the cord <laughs> and constantly pulling people back in to, like, this is it. The crazier yeah. you go, the more grounded you have to try to make it, too. Yeah, uh, absolutely true. I mean, you know, uh, it, it seems it seems hard on the face of it, and yet it's deceptively simple sometimes, it seems to me. It's all about keeping the characters realistic, like realistic human beings, whether that character is a is a drunken superhero in Hancock or whether he's, uh, you know, I don't know, name, name any example, uh, pick any example. Uh, but, but if, if a character, a character can be, it can be Hellboy, it can be whatever. Any char- character doesn't have to be a flesh and blood human being, but, but they, we have to relate to them as viewers, uh, on some level, uh, that, you know, where we understand where they're coming from. We understand their motives. So even if we don't agree with them, we understand, in other words, why Walter White, does what he does. We don't have to sympathize. We don't have to agree. 
but uh, if 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 characters remain relatable, uh, understandable, and hopefully even sympathizable, they can they can have wings. They can be a hundred feet tall. They can whatever. They can have one giant fist. I don't know whatever. They can be a superhero. Spoiler alert! Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I should. I just, what can we edit there. this? I just gave away the end of the whole. Damn it! So. Fucking knew it. Can you Matt imagine superpowers? <laughs> can you imagine? Well, I keep. I I, I think the thing about would be uh, sort of funny is if uh, you find because the timeline of Breaking Bad it's it's basically like 07 to 09 roughly mm-hmm. so what totally could happen is feasible is someone tries to synthesize heisenberg's blue meth yeah start the zombie apocalypse oh i like that see you you bring in some weird element at the end where people are like what, what the fuck yeah. are you fucking kidding me and like it would people would their eyes would pop out with with rage if you brought in that weird element at the end oh is it too late for me to change damn it yeah no no get them all back cranston will come back they'll, they'll all come back um do you sympathize i'm sure people are asking this do you sympathize with walter you know, I don't really anymore. Uh, I kind of yeah, lost the ability. You're like, ah, yeah. come on, this yeah. guy's really funny. Yeah, yeah, he's, not the, yeah. he's not the best guy. <laughs> no, he's really not. But but that doesn't. Uh, the thing I would have been in serious trouble if I lost interest in him as a character. I I I was able to continue to write the show because I found him kind of fascinating as a as a psychological study. Not that I'm a psychologist, but I but I, you know, it's. You got to be a dime store version of a psychologist when you're a writer. Sometimes you got to understand what makes your character tick, especially when you're writing for one guy essentially for six years straight. And when I came to understand about midway through season one that he was just basically a, a big liar and was given lip service uh, to to the idea of doing what he did for his family, but but in in, in fact what he was really doing was. Uh, doing it for his own self-aggrandizement, for making him feel good about himself. Uh, I figured uh, this guy's really interesting, and we can make him very bad indeed. And I, you know, I continued to lose sympathy for him based on the decisions he was making, but he grew kind of inversely more fascinating the more sympathy I lost for him. Was there a point for you where you were like, oh, that's it, I've lost all sympathy? <laughs> Uh, gosh, when would that have been? Oddly that enough, came out of your brain. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> it was. There wasn't any one. It was all little baby steps yeah. down down that slippery slope, I guess. To 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 mix my metaphors. Uh, I, I think it was when he uh, got drunk at dinner uh, with Hank and started bragging on behalf of Heisenberg. Interesting. Where, I haven't heard that one before. He's yeah. a bad drunk. Yeah, he's yeah, a bad yeah, drunk. Yeah, he's yeah. a bad drunk. But like That's that good. moment, yeah, just because it was like. Like you prideful son of a bit like it just yeah. it made everything so was angry. fine. Everything was fine. And then he had to fuck it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's I, the part. I, yeah, it's just it's so it's such a shitty move, you know, just someone mm-hmm. just like, well for people to say for people who say like, Oh, the show's about a guy who's a science teacher who, you know, makes meth to make money for his family. I, I think I think the show's about a guy struggling for significance. That seems to be every yeah. thing that he does yeah. is all about he wants to feel significant. No, Isn't it weird that That's I lost well sympathy for him when he got the cancer diagnosis? <laughs> <laughs> that was in the first episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're supposed to feel sympathy like, for him. Uh, I'm out on this guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
He's, 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 he's unclean jerk. somehow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he has to work at a car wash uh, for Rose. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that. I mean, he was already a teacher, which was hard for me to sympathize with. Rose! I was like, come on! Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> Just fuck with great matter, you piece of shit. Uh, that guy. Would you? <laughs> would you? Would you agree with that? Uh, would you agree with that uh, diagnosis of the show, or do you feel like do you what? What is the show to you? That, What's it about? To that you? people shouldn't sympathize with loser teachers. Absolutely. <laughs> Finally. They're all like this. Every yeah. single one of them. All of them would love it. They all hated me yeah. when I was in school. No. Uh, when I, I'm sorry. What they... do you think? What would you say the show's about? Like now, you know, first of all, what did you say the show was about when you pitched it? And now what do you say the show's about? Has that changed? Uh, that's a good question. Has it changed? It. Uh, you know what? I think we've been pretty consistent with what the franchise, the underlying franchise is, which is. We have a show in which we uh, take the good guy, and, and he, by sheer force of will, changes himself into the bad guy. He, he takes step-by-step, episode-by-episode, the good, the antagonist, the protagonist turns into the antagonist. So, so we've been very consistent uh, to that, faithful to that idea, I think, from the start. Um, but, uh, you know, having said that, I... I uh, it's funny, you, you kind of lose track of what you thought it was going to be back in the early days compared to what it is because the thing that it is fills your vision uh, so much uh, that, that you, you kind of forget where, where you started. But um, I can tell you, I was very worried when talking about sympathizability. I was very worried in the early days. I didn't ever think I would lose sympathy for this guy completely. Yeah. Uh, and I, but I worried uh, that the audience would. And so I kind of neurotically front-loaded the character, the stuff you were just talking about, front-loaded the character with a lot of reasons to, to give a damn about him and to sympathize with him. And, and for instance, uh, he is a teacher, which is a very uh, you know, noble profession. He doesn't get – so we know he works hard. We know he cares about his students uh, from that first scene that he's teaching, uh, where he's teaching. And, and we know that they don't really pay attention to his uh, – to his enthusiasm and to his uh, knowledge, you know, they're, they're kind of not really listening. And then he's got to go off and do the second job and scrub the wheels at the car wash because he's not making enough money at the first job. And he's got a son with CP who's very sweet, but, you know, obviously has had the deck stacked against him since the day he was born. And so I realized, you know, uh, forensically speaking, you know, r- you know, looking backward over the whole thing, I was really worried about the audience yeah. sympathizing yeah. with this guy because I figured if we didn't, if they didn't feel sympathy for him when he makes this decision to do this stuff, then we're just the show's not going to be on the air very long. And in hindsight, now that I see that people still sympathize with him when I myself do not, yeah. I just I find that fascinating. I think you, one of the things the show, for me, that I think is masterful on the show is, again, going back to the idea of no matter how insane something might be on the show... Yeah. Like, oh my God, how is that going to make sense? And then you always find a way to very simply justify it. And you're like, oh fuck, yeah. Oh yeah, okay. I guess I totally buy it. (laughs) Like, it never, the show has never had that moment of like, okay, come on. Like, I I start to feel those moments, and then there's a scene that happens or something else happens, and you're like, shit. Yeah, I totally buy that. That totally that totally makes sense. Good. Which is it's which Knock sort of would keep that going. It's sort of like it's sort of like when they're when they first bring Gus Fring in. Mm-hmm. And they have they stack all this information against him, and then he just comes up with this very simple answers, and they're like, 
Oh, yeah, I, guess that, I guess that checks out. By the way, poor Steve Gomez is the most anti-hunch cop I've ever seen. Yeah. Everything's like, yeah, this checks out. And then it turns out to be the worst thing that they've ever seen before. That poor guy. Poor Gomi. Gomi. Stephen Michael Kizad, another stand-up comedian. Uh, oh, does, really? does stand-up in Albuquerque in his hometown. No he way. has a talk show in his hometown. Uh, that I was a guest on, and it was great fun. It's a, he does a really good job. You can find it on the internet. Gomi, yeah, Gomi. Oh, he's awesome. he's very funny. He's very funny. That was uh, when we uh, went out to Albuquerque to do uh, the bowling thing. I think it was like the, the rap party for oh, yeah. like the last season. Three or four. Yeah, uh, it was it was so crazy driving around Albuquerque. We were like, but fucking. <laughs> Wendy's Motel, like that, that fucking car wash. The place Maybe she gave the all the blowjobs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the song came into my head. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that the, the the other element, you know, the the and I'm fanning on you a little hard, so I apologize. But I've I've been wanting to say these things for a while. I I rewatched the entire series again oh, over the you, last man. month, so it would all be fresh, Damn. which is fun because then you see a bunch of stuff before, like oh fuck, I know, oh shit, it's such a fun thing to do if you have if you have the time to do it. But um, it's grueling, though. To, like, it's emotionally, emotionally no, I'm sure it is. Emotionally, I the first three hard. seasons in a row, uh, yeah. and I like was lying. I was supposed to watch them with my now wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. Uh-huh. I was supposed to wait, and then I was watching them without her, oh. not telling her. Ooh. And then you know she'd be, "What did you do today?" I'd be like, yeah, got, "Just got you're just as bad as Heisenberg." Yeah, that's what it felt like. I was living a dual life, and then I've like I felt like sympathy. if I went out, I could just <laughs> fucking lose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> but the show seems to have this really magical confluence of the writing's great, the directing's fantastic, the acting is unreal. Um, and and the music on the show. Music's your music's you're... for acting? Unreal? <laughs> what? I think the acting should be very real. All right. No, but it's like unreal. <laughs> Captain Pedantic. <laughs> you're, it's a good point. Um, the acting is so believable, it's not believable anymore. Uh, but I mean that uh, the, 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 your music supervisor is yeah. unfucking believable. This scene where, yeah. where, you know, like Wendy goes down to the guy in the car, it's like, who's bending over to bring yeah. the rainbow? Like those moments. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it feels like I'm going to watch the credits and it's going to be like music supervisor Martin Scorsese. <laughs> sure. Yeah, makes sense. So how it's, much was that? And did you did you envision that when you were when you were sort of building the show, or did you just happen to bring someone in that was like Vince? We this is an element that you need. You know what? I uh, I got so lucky so many times with this thing, uh, and the first bit of luck music wise was that we had a we had a uh, we had an executive. I got one of the best notes I've ever gotten, and it was from an executive, because executives get a bad rap that they give idiot notes, you know, and we had an executive, and it's really not true. Not always, anyway. We had a woman named Christina Wayne who was an AMC executive, and I, when I directed the pilot, I cut, I cut together a temp music track to it, and I brought my uh, iPod to uh, to work uh, to the editing room and just later just 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 fucking troweled music onto the, onto the pilot, uh, all my favorite songs and whatnot, and this executive Christina watched watched the uh, pilot. She says it's really good except for the music. She, I said what's wrong with the music? She says it's just wall to wall. Do you not believe in your own work? And she like pulled me up short with that statement. She said do you do you really think that you just gotta do this 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 manic song and dance, musically speaking, to keep people watching. And she really got me seeing it completely different uh, because TV, I think it's starting to change a little bit. I sense that it's starting to change a little bit now, but TV for the last 20 years has been just music wall-to-wall, whether it's score that's, that's written specifically for the episode or whether it's needle drops, uh, like I was doing, songs that pre-exist. And uh, 
So she really made me see it a completely different way. And she said, I don't think there should be hardly any music on this thing at all. And we met somewhere in the middle. We have very little music on Breaking Bad, uh, certainly compared to a lot of other TV shows. But uh, all credit is due, aside from that great note I got from an executive, all credit is due to our composer, a guy named Dave Porter, who writes the specific music for the show, the music specifically written for the show, and our music supervisor, Thomas Golubich, who has fantastic taste in music and consistently comes up with, uh, with, with songs, A, that I've never heard of, although, to be fair, that's, that's not a high bar. <laughs> it's a passive I haven't heard. I'm like, if, it, if, it's, you know, if it's not Hank Snow or some sort of hillbilly music, I, you know, <laughs> I've never heard of it. Elvis Costello, who is this? You speak of. But uh, I've heard of Elvis, of course, but, uh, but, uh, but, but uh, he would come up with songs I've never heard of, uh, and he would come up with stuff that I would never in a million years uh, have thought of putting against certain pieces, certain certain pictures, certain um, certain bits of footage, and he just consistently would come up with these incredible choices. And Dave Porter would come up with incredible score. So, and and they also knew both of them knew not to overdo it. They knew to 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 you know you print too many dollar bills, suddenly each individual dollar is worth left is is worse. Gee, I can't fucking talk. It's worth, it's worth less. Oh, get ready, because in, in a couple of days, actually the next eight weeks. I know, right? But uh, You're going to forget who you are. I know, I forget my own name. But, uh, you know, it's like uh, print too much money, uh, the value of the money goes down. Put too much music, too much score, and, you know, the music itself ceases to have meaning. But so, even, so they would choose their moments very wisely. But even in the car wash... It was a very specific type of 80s music. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. like they, they weren't the most obvious 80s yeah. songs. It was like, you know, kind of a deep cut Thomas Dolby song mm-hmm. or kind of a deep cut Fix mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. Or, and it's like, yes, that would fucking play in a car wash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And that's born of two things. That's born of Thomas's brilliance and also born of the fact that historically we had very little money for... <laughs> music on this show so we had to go to the deeper stuff uh, very often although i think thomas would have done that anyway based on his taste something uh, a couple things that i might be reading in too much to stuff um but uh number one i like the idea that you know they tell they tell the in-laws that uh, walter is addicted to gambling right but he actually kind of is it's just not like card gambling yeah He's yeah. he's into like right. li- he's into like life gambling. Oh yeah, you're right. That's well put. It's well in general. Uh, the the deeper point to be made there is that, uh, and I think this is this is true in life as well as in Breaking Bad. The best lies contain a, a very uh, large kernel of truth. So uh, you know the best lies we've we've told one uh, one another or ourselves are the ones that you know there is a big hunk of truth in the middle of it all. So, yeah. That so Walt is very good at uh well and actually that was Skyler telling that particular lie but Skyler's kind of a virtuoso herself uh, in terms of lying and as she says at one point I think I learned from the best. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean you have to you know it's it, it's great that it's you know obviously Walt is very much the focus of the show but you still take the time to go through and give everyone their 
their own little personal like they're all sort of breaking back it's like it's not just him right throughout the the body of the show did was that did you know that you were going to do that going into the show or as you were getting through it you're like yeah, i probably should kind of branch out well i really we we i thought in 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 uh when we started i thought in terms of uh, this is going to be uh a story about one guy's evolution or devolution uh, if you will. I mean, he's going to go from being a good guy to a bad guy, so he's going to change with every episode. I guess I was thinking mainly in terms of him changing, but, um, yeah, as, as you get in a writer's room and you got six really excellent writers working with you and you've got excellent actors who are capable of playing a great many different emotions and, and moments, you start to realize, I mean, it sounds like a no-brainer now. It sounds like, duh, you know, obvious, but they all need to change. If Walt's changing... He's he's bringing them down with him. He's making their lives change too. So chemistry, yeah. chemistry, yeah, and interactions, chemical interactions, and, yeah. and and whatnot. And and so, and luckily we had we have actors. We had actors who were capable, all of them, more than capable of of playing a great many colors uh, and 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 emotions and flavors and whatnot, and able to do pretty much anything uh, ranging from the the darkest drama to the funniest comedy. Yeah. Well, luckily, they all. So, some of you were saying earlier, you know, I really do like uh, comedians and comedic actors, and and I didn't realize just how funny all of our actors were capable of being. I knew how funny uh, Brian was capable of being, but got so lucky with with Aaron Paul, for instance, because he was not intended to be around for very long yeah. originally. And and but this this guy, he's just brilliant. He's got great comic timing. He's funny as hell. But he can also he's he's got that kind of range. Uh, they all do. They're just so lucky with okay, the casting. Okay, so, so that that hits an interesting point, which is um, did did the show how much of the entire series was mapped out in your head, or did you go season to season, or did you are there things that you're doing now that you always intended to do, or did it kind of evolve naturally? I'd love to say I had a master plan in place from from the get go, but I, I I I really didn't. Other than that that franchise that that as as it were that 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 pitch of we're going to take mr chips and turn him into scarface we mm-hmm. we abided by that and we we really didn't waver from that but plot wise uh for instance you know uh i can't say i knew it was all heading when when i've already said uh publicly a great many times that, that i thought i was going to kill jesse pinkman when it all started uh you know in the first season i, I you know i i thought i was going to do that so the great thing about tv is you can have a plan, and you can be very rigid and orthodox about it. You can say, I, I know we're going to go five seasons, and I know we're going to get to this particular moment, and it's going to be wonderful. But I feel now, especially that I've done this job, I feel you're, you're robbing yourself as a showrunner if you, if you make those kind of pronouncements and are, and are overly orthodox about hewing to them. You, you, you lose a great deal of potential fun. And, and uh, I mean, the actors bring so much to the role. The writers bring so much. The crew, the directors, uh, obviously, uh, bring so much. Things that you find along the way, discoveries that you make, happenstances, uh, moments where you have to turn lemons into lemonade. I mean, we lost uh, key actors along the way uh, to, to other TV shows. We lost uh, a location along the way that was very important to us. You have to roll with these punches. You have to... A big part of your job is making lemonade out of lemons. And the, at the moment, those disasters, quote-unquote, sometimes they are pretty disastrous, but when those disasters, quote-unquote, strike, you're just ready to pull your hair out. You're ready to just, you know, oh, my God, we're done for. 
but then you just got to roll with it. And sometimes the best moments come out of those disastrous ones. All of that to say, if you say from the get-go, I know where it's all going to end, you're you kind of either either deluding yourself or you're going to be so rigid about it that you're going to you're going to cut out a great deal of wonderful moments that you would otherwise have had. Yeah, and I I know I said this on the um, on the panel, but I keep it's it's sort of haunting when you watch the whole series and then you watch the first five minutes of the pilot and Walter's standing up at the at the front of the room of the classroom and he's talking about chemistry and he says growth decay transformation yeah. That's the entire series. He sets it up in the first five minutes. Yeah. I mean, in broadest strokes it is, and, and, and we abided by that. Uh, it was a show I was pitched. It was a, to, the, to the executives. I said, this is a show about process, the process of, of a guy, whoops, sorry, right. a guy like uh, one of, you know, any one of us, a law-abiding citizen, becoming a criminal. What's the process that that takes? Uh, how do you do that? How do you go about that? So it was a show about that. It was a show about transformation, transforming a character from who he was to who he will become. So we, yeah, we stuck we stuck with that, and I I knew that was the heart of it all. So it was it was nice to be able to make that to plant that flag to make that statement of intent in that essentially that first or second scene of Act One of the pilot. But how you get there specifically, that's where the fun resides. That's where you know all the the the, the, the nitty gritty of it. The stuff you got to roll with, those punches you got to roll with. That's that's the fun of it. What was the is is there one thing that stands out to you that was born out of the actors' relationships to their character, where you were like, oh, that's good, and then that developed into uh, a thing that we all came to accept. That's uh, no, that's a great. Uh, I'm trying to think of a great example for a great question. Uh, a more general way to answer it, uh, and if and if and if I probably have said this before, but it's 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 a good example. You know, aside from the Jesse Pinkman example, the guy was too good to kill, essentially, in the first season. The actor was too good to, for me to kill off his character. Uh, you know, the, a good example I always give is, is uh, Hank Schrader, is, is Dean Norris, who plays him. Hank was very schematic. If you look back in that pilot episode, and I'm proud of that pilot episode, but if you look at it, if you deconstruct it, that was the one time I was working all by myself, before I had all these great writers and directors and actors and crew. And I, I'm proud of the job I did, but but you can see how, how if I if I had like a million years to do literally all of it by myself, it would be so much poorer <laughs> as a as a work of art, as a as a story, as a as a as a you know, because it 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 just it would be one voice instead of you know, many. And uh for instance, schematically, you know, I was very schematic, uh, you know, writing Hank in that first episode. He basically was everything Walt was not in that first episode. He's like, hey, hey, buddy, hey, how you doing? He's hail fellow well met. He comes in, he takes over Walt's 50th birthday party, and he just kind of rolls in. And, and, and clearly uh, the subtext is that Walt's own son loves the uncle more than he loves mm-hmm. his dad. And, and he's a man's man, and Walt is not, and, and Walt looks weird with a gun in his hand, and, <laughs> and uh, all fun stuff. And I think it works, but it's it. The show got deeper and richer when we realized, as one example, we realized Dean Norris was capable of playing uh, much more than that. There was much more to the actor playing the, at least in that first episode, somewhat schematic role, and and he uh, he. Knowing him, getting to know him, getting to know that that he himself is a guy who comes across when you meet him in real life. You 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 know you know uh, what I'm talking about. You meet Dean Norris in real life. Hey hey, how the fuck are you? Hey, hey buddy. 
And then you realize he went to Harvard, and you realize yeah. he's very well read. And Dean Norris his... went to Harvard. I had no idea. He went yeah. to Harvard, yeah. I, I, I... Not Harvard School Auto Body Repair. Or actual Harvard. <laughs> oh, I'm less impressed now. <laughs> <laughs> but he can't build a car, though. No. Can he? No. And, uh, and he's, he, he loves poetry. He loves – you can talk books with him you know, way better than I can, that's for sure. And he's, he's – there's a depth of feeling to them to him that that – does not initially come across in the way uh, Hank was written or or uh, what I asked uh, Dean to do in playing Hank in that first episode. But the more you get to know this guy, the more you think it's a crime to not in you know deepen to not deepen this character to, to make there be more to Hank. And was was there something was there was there anything that you can think of that uh, that you wanted to do with one of the characters that you always want to do, but just you couldn't justify it or make it work? In some way, or do you feel like you got to do everything you wanted to do? <laughs> She's going to kill me that we never actually did this. Uh, uh, Betsy Brandt, <laughs> we we talked for the longest time about trying to figure out a way for her to to accidentally shoot the UPS man. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert: it doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, so it does not. The show does not end that way. <laughs> but Betsy, by the way. God damn, she is funny. She yeah. was so funny she on the on great. the bowling episode she, with her. The genuinely hilarious. Oh, she's she. I've said ever since the first year we worked in the show. I said you need your own talk show. You seriously, mm-hmm. Betsy, you need your own talk show. Well, she's she doing is, the sitcom now. She's she, doing yeah, and I can't wait to see it. And uh, uh, clip I saw of it, she just looks funny as hell. So let's talk a little bit about. Um, uh, I'm sure you've been asked about this too, but the idea of. Uh, colors playing into you know Walter yeah. White, Jesse Pinkman, even Skyler. Um, uh, Betsy's purple. likes purple. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, ever there's two things that I've noticed: is colors and baldness. Yes, there's a lot of shaved heads and baldness on the show. Yes, yes. With you know Mike, and then ultimately even Ted Beneke yeah, and, right. and Walter, yeah. and you're Jesse right. shaves his head, and Dean, yeah. uh, uh, Hank, and so it's I, I I see colors and baldness. Is there is was that was that part of the master plan? That colors were part of the master plan baldness unfortunately was not <laughs> uh it just sort of turned out that way with the baldness uh more and more male characters i just i we're at a point where we're like let's just shave all the women's heads too let's just, <laughs> let's just Crawford, the bell crawford the bell a lot of those guys just showed up that way and um i mean it, it made sense for for walt to go there uh hank always was there yeah uh, Mike Ehrman Trout, when Jonathan Banks showed up, that's yeah. that's how he sports his uh, noggin there. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, Lavelle and... Uh, Holly. Yeah, yeah Holly, say, maybe yeah. Holly, yep. yeah. Bald. Uh, what about yeah. the colors? The colors, it was always important to me, and, and also uh, right from the get-go, we had a wonderful... Well, everybody in the crew was great, but we had an excellent production designer, uh, Rob Wilson King, uh, who later on uh, left the show and uh, was replaced by the also excellent uh, Mark Freeborn. Uh, as production designer, you're, you're thinking in terms of you know, you're, you're setting the look of the show. You're uh, you know by building the sets, pick, helping pick the locations, uh, thinking in terms uh, you know of, of of the visuals of the show. And and uh, so uh, right from the get go, Rob Wilson King was was interested in my idea of of letting colors help tell the story or the color palette uh help tell the story as was uh, Kathleen de Toro who was our excellent uh costume designer and then later on she left the show and was replaced by Jennifer Bryan who also picked up pick up p- took the baton from uh Kathleen and 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 found uh you know the idea of it and it, you know what it is it's not about 
So all these these four folks were were vital uh, to it. And it's really it's not about the individual colors themselves. It's about the fact that they change. I think is what I think is the short answer to the question of why why do you why do you notice the colors on on the show? If and we always wanted them to be there. We didn't want them to be too super noticeable because sometimes if things draw attention too much to themselves, they they tend to distract. But the idea. And whether we pulled it off or not completely uh, uh, perfectly is, is open to debate. But the idea was, even from in the pilot... You're spraying the stuff into the flames, all the different colors? Well, you know what? You know, that was something uh, I can't take credit for. That was, we had a chemistry-slash-teaching uh, advisor on the uh-huh. set who, who offered that. You know, you always want something visual. If it's just a guy talking, you're like, how can, as a director, you're like, well, how can we jazz this up a little? And And the... This gentleman on set, who was a high school chemistry teacher, was helping us out. Said, "Hey, I got this thing. You squirt these different chemicals into a Bunsen burner, and they make different colors. That's a nice uh, uh, kind of an echo of the color thing." But, but how but, was his meth? Uh, yeah, his meth was, eh, you know. Just, yeah. uh, eh, did, they, know. Did, did he watch and go, yeah, everything that you've just, I mean, did he basically figure out a way to make meth? And then we never saw him again after season yeah, two. He off. just disappeared. He went off and, uh, yeah. But uh, the colors, it was really about the changing of the colors rather than the colors themselves. In the pilot, it's a microcosm of the idea. Walt starts, if you look closely, Walt starts very beige, very bland. Uh Different, different, different uh, shades of khaki and beige, essentially. And by the end of it, he he turns green. He gets some green in his wardrobe. And uh, in microcosm, that happens in the pilot. But because uh, you never know if you're going to have anything past the pilot, so you figure oh, better put it all on the leave it all on the field right here and now. But uh, in macrocosm, we would pick uh, with the help of my production designer and my costume designer every season. We'd we'd have a discussion of of, of color evolution. So you'd start. Everybody, every uh, character would have uh, uh, yeah, they'd start a certain color, and then they'd they'd change wardrobe-wise, and then change to another color by the end of the season. Great, a great deal of time was spent thinking and talking about this, and I I don't really I can't really tell you what all the colors meant necessarily. It could have been as simple sometimes as differentiating mm-hmm. one character from another, but purple seemed like a good color for for Betsy to go uh, to go against her black hair. And I like the idea of one character being very consistent. So she really, although you know, you may you may see a little change in her even by the end of it all. But uh, <laughs> little spoiler alert. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, that's a little exclusive for you there. Thank you uh, for your nerdist uh, no, listeners and. Uh, <laughs> Analyzing, analyzing. Yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean? What could that mean? <laughs> Chris, clear your schedule for the rest of the okay. day. We got to talk All about right. this. We need out the whiteboards. Delivery yeah. guy accidentally shoots her. But I think I was thinking of the Fanta girl on the Fanta, the, the, oh, the black-haired the Fanta girl. Yeah. And I was saying because she was the one of the purple. Uh, Oilers wore the purple yeah. on, the, on the Fanta commercials. You're right. Well, I got yeah. a bunch of questions from Reddit, who uh, adores the show. By the way, um, this is from uh, Green Tea for me. This is the name of the, the Reddit username. Huh? Walter White is notorious for putting himself in risky, life-threatening scenarios and being able to quickly formulate a method to outsmart his opponents. Uh, there is sort of a MacGyver, Mr. Wizard meets mm-hmm. Blow kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, with that in mind, Vince has mentioned a few times that while writing, he and his team would often uh, wind up digging themselves into a hole. So the question is, what has been the most difficult hole that you've had to dig yourself out of? Um, and, Excellent question. Yeah. The one that springs to mind, and, and we did. We uh, perversely... we get, we got a perverse sort of satisfaction for digging ourselves into holes. 
and then and then wandering around slapping ourselves on the forehead saying we're we're fucked we're fucked <laughs> we're never getting out of this one oh we're dead man we're you know so uh, <laughs> so uh we yeah. game over we're man, man. <laughs> <laughs> game fucking over <laughs> <laughs> yeah a little bill packs in there that's awesome oh, billy p yeah um the one that springs to mind, we had a lot of them. The one that springs to mind uh, that seemed particularly dangerous because we really thought we were going to have to go backwards and unwind a lot of really good, fun stuff was when we had uh, Hank in the junkyard outside the RV and mm-hmm. Walt and Jesse are trapped How the inside. fuck do you get how, those guys out of there? How the hell are we getting them out of this one? And we were stuck. The reason Walter White is so brilliant is because he comes up with, in inside of 10 minutes, what it takes seven reasonably smart people the better part of a week to come up with he comes up with his plan it took us probably seven of us uh just you know the better part of three solid days to come up with the way out of that one and a lot of the rejected ideas are are given voice by uh jesse before walt comes up with his very simple yeah. but very devious Magnets. plan. By the way, can we throw <laughs> now we need to throw a little credit to a character that I really would have loved. I wanted to oh, watch a whole show about him. Larry Hank and Old Joe. Oh yeah. yeah. Like the smartest the, the, yeah, yeah. Smartest. the greatest junkyard yeah. lawyer ever. Oh yeah. Larry <laughs> Hank and, and brilliant oh, yeah. scientists too when they build yeah. the electromagnet. Yeah. yeah. You know, like that that guy, oh, I was yeah. just like, oh fuck, I want to see a whole show about yeah. that guy. Yeah. And if you listen closely too, uh uh in season five A there it's clear he was the guy who built the uh, the mobile lab that uh, they use in inside the uh, the, the pest control uh, houses? Oh, he is because they say you know Joe and his guys. You have to listen real close. But uh, there's a scene. It's the scene in which Walt, as first time Walt ever spends any screen time with uh, little uh, Brock, the boy mm-hmm. he uh, he poisoned. Right. Uh, yeah. So they're talking through oh, the blueprints true. and 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 they're uh, having a beer and talking through the blueprints. Walt and Jesse in uh, Jesse's uh, living room, and he says, yeah, what about this? Well, I think if we make this pressure vessel screw onto the top of the thing or the motor, the stirring motor, blah, blah, blah. But old Joe and his or Joe and his guys think, because uh, we call that guy old Joe, yeah. the other character. So uh, so even though we didn't see it, uh, apparently they built oh, wow. they built the rig as well. So Why did, I, I'm still, tr- maybe I'm, I, I was really trying to figure out what was Walter's endgame with poisoning Brock? What was his... His his end game was he had to get FaceTime with Jesse. He really had to. He was at a place where Gus he, where he was up against uh, a superior opponent, a guy who was arguably smarter than he was, who had had blocked his every chess move, and including uh, he had he had basically uh, through a lot of machinations that, that Gus Fring had, had put into motion. Jesse and Walt, I mean, they had uh, beaten the living hell out of each other in this, that big uh, fist fight they yeah. had. Jesse really, at that point, didn't seem to care whether Walt lived or died, and Walt was a dead man. As soon as Jesse was able to, to cook the, the, uh, a, reasonably, uh, a reasonably good facsimile of, of Walt's meth, Walt would be, uh, at that point, uh, done for. So he knew he was dead regardless. The worst thing... He could that could have happened was that Jesse himself would have just come over and shot him right in the head, which we thought honestly that in the writers' room better if that's the worst case scenario of getting Jesse over there, uh, better Jesse does it than Gus Fring himself. Right. The best case scenario was they get face to face and Walt says, "Listen to me, listen to me. You're not a killer. How 
I've done a lot of bad things. Do you really believe I would poison a child? Do you really believe? Think about, think about who wants you to believe that. Yeah. And it was all about getting Jesse back in his side. And uh, so it was, uh, it, was, it was the most devious thing I think we ever came up with in the writer's room. And one of those moments we were most proud of because when we said, okay, and then the whole season ends with that shot of the lily of the valley. Yeah. It was just like – and I think, you know, it was not ricin. It could have been – it could have been, I mean, here's the thing. It could have been ricin, and the kid could have died. This is this is the one small tip of the hat Walt gave toward, you know, the rest of humanity in the sense that he, he knew he was making the kid sick. He 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 didn't he purposely didn't kill the kid. He was making him sick. Is that yeah. the worst thing you think he's done, or is the Jane thing the worst thing he's done? Well, Jane pretty much did it to herself. No, he, he she did, but he basically... If, a, if, if if Jesse deeper. hadn't moved, if Je- if he hadn't come in, yeah. if Jesse hadn't moved, uh, she wouldn't have fallen off on her si- off of her side. Yeah, he didn't mean to knock her over on her side. If you look closely, he in- inadvertently kind of plops her over on her side, but he didn't mean to do that. But it's a very huge sin of omission to watch someone, you know, to be standing at the end of the dock, so to speak, and you've well, got the drowning. life preserver in your hand, and the person's drowning, and you just you think about it, and you say, nah, I'm not throwing that to you. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's bad. Yeah. That so was you're, a bad moment. Because you're fucking yeah. with causality in that season yeah. of, you know, having to see, like, this is the result of one person's shitty action can yeah. create this whole, yeah. you know, this whole, like, the, like the, the, the plane crash and, the, you know, yeah. all the stuff that you'd been teasing in the cold opens throughout yeah. the season with the pool. Yeah, yeah. So was, was your sense to, was your idea to sort of show people, like, these are the kinds of global consequences that yeah. happen from one person's actions? Yeah. TV historically doesn't deal with consequences well. And it's, it's, not, it's not for lack of... of, of uh, brilliance on the part of you know or you know whatever on the part of tv writers or or a desire to do it it's just historically tv is about maintaining stasis because you want you want uh you want those characters you tune in to watch week in and week out to remain the same people throughout the lifespan of the show and the producers of the show want the show to go on 10 15 20 years so they make the most amount of bucks out of the thing so tv is about historically is about maintaining stasis you just described dick wolf (laughs) <laughs> well, and by the way, and and this guy, he knows. I never met the guy, but he knows what he's doing. He's, you know, you can watch an episode of Law and Order in season eighteen. Yeah, the and, it, and it's the works first. Oh my god, the guy's a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. And but it's and you know what you're gonna get, and what you're gonna get, especially if you're a fan of Law and Order. I thought it was a damn good show. It's it's, uh, but it's literally it's, you, you know, you're gonna get something very similar to what you got in season one that you get in season 18 yeah. or 15 or whatever. And it works and it's designed to work that way. Lenny would have caught Walt, Walt, Lenny, yeah. Lenny would have caught him. Yeah. yeah. Lenny, Lenny was, Lenny was great. I love, <laughs> I love Jerry Orbach. He was yeah. awesome. But, but my point being, uh, I figured it was, it'd be fun. There was room on the television dial as it were to try something different, to try something, uh, you know, uh, uh, a story in which, uh, the main character changed. You know, as we were talking about, it's a story about transformation. The, the whole point of the show is transformation. So, therefore, that frees you up to 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 involve things like causality and to to basically, uh, for the easiest way to put it, is to allow that uh, actions have reactions in 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 the world of Breaking Bad as they do in real life. Because uh, if you're watching Nash Bridges or, or you're watching, or hell, use X Files as an example. You're watching X Files. We had episodes, and I'm proud as hell of that show, but that show had to more or less exist 
in that in that self-imposed uh, stasis world of television right. as well. Otherwise, it wouldn't have lasted as long as it did. But and so we had times on X Files where Mulder would would shoot a perp in his own apartment, and you know. And then the next week, there's no mention of it. And in real life, and I'm proud of that show, and that, that's the way it had to be. That's the way it has to be typically in television. But in real life, you shoot someone, especially in your own home. A lot of paperwork. How, how am I going to sleep in my house <laughs> Even this? in the X-Files computer games, yeah. Kenner would take your badge and gun. Can't, yeah, can't. it's just like, how do you, there's no, there's, there's very little, typically in television, very little, uh, cause, you know, very little uh, consequence to one's actions. Right. So so living so so this you know we we were really freed up knowing the show wouldn't last forever knowing the show in fact would last well it turns out it lasted sixty two episodes but it was a finite creation knowing that frees you up to allow for whole seasons in fact like season two to be about causality to be about actions having reactions to to to, to be about actions have consequences you know ending in that season with this rain of aircraft debris falling from the sky so. Do you feel like it was the cancer that changed him, or what? Do you think in in your mind was Walter always looking for a reason, kind of a liar, or always yeah looking for something, or was it was that his? He does kind of he does say he does say I'm awake now, right? Do you think that it was it the cancer? I think the the cancer woke him up. The big question, the the the, the sixty four thousand dollar question, that that I don't pretend to have the gospel answer to. I, I like for people to argue this amongst themselves. But the big question that that arises from uh, Walt's cancer diagnosis in that first episode is, did that knowledge uh, change fundamentally who he was, or did it awaken something? He actually says, I'm awake. But, I mean, in other words, this is the old expression about Hollywood. You know, some people say Hollywood, success in Hollywood doesn't change you so much as it reveals your flaws. It reveals who you really are. Is so did Walt in going down this path reveal things that were always within him, or did he actually change and become someone different? That's really interesting you say it about Hollywood. I think it's just I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily a success maybe it is success in general because maybe in general the yeah. byproduct of success can be you're not as held in place by your peers anymore. Yeah. yeah. Because the more you do something or the more then more people are like Yes, yeah. and then you have less boundaries. Yeah, you have yeah. less barriers. Yeah. So maybe that's what it is. It's when the barriers start breaking down, that's when it's... You know, I think that's the best way to put it. I think when those societal barriers, when those barriers, those behavior barriers start dropping away, uh, it's my, my girlfriend who was a former teacher taught me a great quote. I'm probably quoting it a little bit wrong, but Mark, one of Mark Twain's great quotes, and you know he was, he was full of wonderful... Lines. One of them was, uh, there are a great many cures to temptation, but the most potent one is cowardice. Huh. It's like, you know, yeah. the fear of getting caught, the fear of, uh, of, 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 you know, prison or, or death or whatever keeps us from doing some of the things that, that we, we, in the dark of night, we, we, we think about doing, we fantasize about doing. And well, maybe, maybe Walt had, had that that cowardice removed that lifted up yeah lifted and do you yeah. think that's why when he when he went and got checked up again and the, they said the cancer ha- was in remission yeah. like he like like kind of had like a freak out he had a freak out he did yeah. indeed and that like, was like oh shit yeah now i'm going to have to deal keep on dealing with this stuff you were exactly right and yeah. that's that's we had fun with that that was also a hard one that the episode after the 4 days out episode the episode that ends with him getting the news that is 
cancer's in yeah. remission. He punches the hell out of the paper towel dispenser. Yeah. The episode after that, which was written by uh, Moira Wally Beckett, who did a great job with it, we were really all of us at sea with that next episode because we were like, what happens now? Because he's, he's clearly freaking out that uh, he doesn't have this excuse anymore, this cancer excuse. Yeah. This excuse, in other words, to break bad, to continue to break bad. So uh, we're like, now what do we do? Because it just doesn't feel right that he should immediately keep cooking meth. So we had we had a, a sort of a, a, a not a placeholder episode. That's not the right way to put it. But we had a sort place of a, to breathe. Well, we, yeah. yeah, we had yeah. some breathing room yeah. there, and he goes off instead, and he finds rot in his in his sub basement, yeah. you know, or in his you know in the in the timbers under the house, and suddenly he's like a complete nut about getting rid of the mildew. Yeah. yeah, and you know there was a there was a callback to that scene where he goes. Uh, I think it was maybe in the last episode of the season uh, where he, he goes back. And he stares at the. He gets another checkup. Yeah. And stares at the uh, paper towel dispenser right. that he had punched. You're right. And you, you don't really know what the yeah. what they said, what's going on. But then in the uh, montage of um, them cooking meth with the tents, yeah, you start to see um, when there's an overhead shot of all the tents in the neighborhood, they're kind of like multiplying. Yeah. And like that seems to me like it's like alluding to. Like with those two scenes combined, like maybe he, huh. he got it back and those are the cells spreading again. I don't know. Huh. That's kind of what I took away from it. Mm. Oh, yeah. shut up. You can't say anything. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you're right. It was the last fucking episode. God damn it. Seen. I like it. I like yeah. it. I think it's cool. Um, that was a great, I think it's that was very a great cool. montage, too. The oh. last montage in that. Uh, that was, yeah. uh, that was again, written by Maura Wally Beckett and directed by uh, uh, Michelle McLaren, who, as we speak, is in Iceland doing Game of Thrones. Directing oh, shit. Game of Thrones. Yeah. And which is, it's her third and fourth episode she's done for them because they always they block shoot two episodes at a time and she is a one badass director yeah she is so talented and when you meet her she's so cute and sweet and lack of a better way to put it girly <laughs> i mean in the best possible way and uh and the darkest things and, and the, come out of her mind she is the most badass action director and we've got some badass action directors but she's the one who did the uh, amazing sequence with the two cousins in the parking lot trying oh, to kill Hank? Geez, yeah, you know she she killed off all the with the poison by the pool in Mexico. She killed off all oh, the uh, all wow. the capos. Oh, and then the, also the uh, and also in the, oh, in the prisons when all the... and and yes, and she oh, did the yeah, that was so that was yeah. those little like. I, I don't know if the I don't know if the looping on if the if the ADR on that was just like stabbing dry sponges, but that like <laughs> oh yeah, that yeah, yeah. was Nasty. so fucking Nasty. gross. That's yeah. a guy named Nick Forshager who is our uh, our our sound effects editor and who comes up with that stuff. He and his guys and and then our mixers uh, Jeffrey and Eric do such a great job. Yeah, the music, the the sound work on this show uh, always uh, I always want to talk about too because the amount of detail, the amount of artistry that goes into it to make all that stuff seem more real and like like you said, the stabbings. Yeah. It's just it's one thing to look at it and and the way uh, Michelle directed it, it's just badass mm. and and horrifying. But then when you're hearing it yeah. with the the artistry that goes into making those sound effects, it's just like, eh, makes yeah. it ten or times like worse. Or like an ATM falling on a skull. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of layers someone, of sound yeah. effects. Someone here yeah. on Reddit wanted to know what happened to that kid. What happened to the... Baby Spooge. Baby Spooge, yeah. yeah. We what call are... him Baby Spooge. Because <laughs> uh, where was, he came from. It's, it's, it was uh, Mr. It was, the guy's name was Spooge. And, and she then, was, and then she kept was, calling her Skank. Yeah, but we called her Mrs. Spooge. There was, <laughs> oh. there was oh, Spooge right. and Mrs. Spooge. So in the eyes of the Lord, <laughs> yeah. they were a union. <laughs> yes. All right, good. And then Baby Spooge. Yeah, oh, yeah, that crunch. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I, 
I, you know, that's really, that's up to the viewer. I mean, I don't mean to, uh, I, I, it really is because we never, we never you answered. Never I, I, yeah. I would like to believe in, in the way I look at it, I believe that he went to, uh, unfortunately to a foster home, but, but actually, no, actually it shouldn't, I shouldn't say it that way. Fortunately to a foster home because just any place would be better than, than where he crack was. house yeah. he was yeah. living in. Yeah. So this is from, uh, oh, and by the way, the people that you get to play the, the meth addicts, like yeah, yeah. Wendy. Oh Yeah. Fucking so good. Yeah. Do you Oh the guys in the in the house when Jesse distracts with the digging? Yeah. Those yeah. guys are perfect. There was I you know, I need to say because I, I mentioned something about uh you know earlier in our podcast that where Wendy gave all the blowjobs. I need to say the woman who played Wendy is absolutely delightful and absolutely nothing at all in any way, shape, or form like Wendy the character. She is a triathlete. She used to be a professional triathlete. Oh, performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah. <laughs> no, and that's why she has like zero body fat because she is she's a fantastic athlete. I think she and her husband ran triathlons. Wow! And uh, she's the nicest lady, and she has a perfectly uh, beautiful set of teeth that we, we that we that we mess up that we mess up with. Uh, prosthetic uh you know orthodontia or whatnot and 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 she's actually a very uh, nice and sweet and attractive lady who we really make look scabby and nasty and and we do that with all these actors who play uh, are there, tweakers yeah. are yeah. there any pressure or do, you, do you feel any social pressures when you're writing a show that's essentially um it's you're certainly not glorifying drugs or the process i mean you certainly you lift the match you lift the dirty mattress and see all the cockroaches right. scattering underneath yeah, yeah. but do you feel like there's any sort of social responsibility because of the subject matter to make sure that you let people know like you know that that it, maybe it's not so much like well you guys decide if it's bad where you got where you got to go no we really should let people know that it's that's bad no it's a good question and I, and i have to say uh, just as i worried in the early days about Walt remaining a sympathizable as possible for as long as possible. I worried in the early days. It's almost like I've forgotten it now. It's been six years, but we worried in the early days that that uh, uh, folks out there who like to weigh in, yay or nay, on on uh, whatever new crop of TV shows. You're just you referring know. to the cheers and jeers section of a TV guy. <laughs> That's the only. One. I was thinking more of the the parents' resource. Uh, oh right, so that kind of wagon. Folks. Yeah. I was. Uh, I was. And by the way. Let me start by saying uh, Breaking Bad is not meant for kids, right. clearly, as a TV show. But uh, and it's not it's not it's not you know it's not a show for a lot of adults out there either. To be honest, it's kind of an acquired taste. Like uh, you know, uh, it it's but it, but it we worried in the early days. I worried in the early days. People going to think we were somehow glorifying meth use or criminality, and and people got that that's not what we were doing. So uh, it got to the point. Probably in the early days, I thought a little more than we wound up thinking about in later seasons. I thought, gee, are we showing enough how bad this is? And it turns out we didn't need to police ourselves uh, too much in that regard. We just needed to be truthful uh, about about it. And the truth is, as with a lot of illegal drugs, meth does something for people. It makes them feel really good for a short amount of time. And then... It just fucking destroys your life. And if you show both sides of that, so that then we'd have scenes like uh, Jesse floating up to heaven when he's on heroin, floating up through space, which was done with this amazing rig that the grip department built. Yeah, that looks really cool. Fantastic idea that Adam Bernstein, the director of that episode, came up with, and the grip department built this rig. And that was that was all done practically. They literally mounted the camera over him. That was not some weird CG effect. Yeah. He, he really was being lifted 30 feet in the air as he was acting out a heroin high. 
And there, so there was no, like, you didn't composite anything out? No from composite. That. It was just like a, a thing underneath them? It was a, like a crane arm uh, with him lying on a, on, a, on, a, on a sort of a support, uh, lying flat, flat on his back, and then the camera mounted uh, equidistant. I mean, it always stayed equidistant yeah, from yeah. him, so it stayed in focus. And then the grit department rose it up through the, uh, it was on a soundstage set, so there was no ceiling. Okay. And uh, we got right up to the top where you would begin to see the edges of the top of the room. And uh, it was all done practically. Uh, all of that to say, you know, that's presented as, ooh, it feels really good to be on heroin. Sure. And then, But then, uh, because, you know, that's the thing that the war against drugs doesn't really want to tell people is it, you know, it, if it didn't feel good, nobody would be doing it. Yeah, but but yeah. what you need, and that's okay. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to say that it feels really good. But then it's the, the, the how good it makes you feel isn't worth it because then it just fucks up your life. It was, yeah. That was some train spotting level uh, <laughs> of you know like that the, oh, those visualizations. Yeah, of, of the drugs. yeah. yeah. Um, that's a good movie. Like the, train uh, spotting. Such a great like movie. the acid yeah. scene in Ray Donovan. If anyone's keeping up, haven't with seen Ray it. Um, this is from uh, Davinadal who wants to know which character did you find was complex or tricky to write? I guess what was the what was your what was your hardest character to tackle? Oh God, good question. Uh, God, it was all hard. It was. Uh, <laughs> it was all so hard, of <laughs> um, hard but but satisfying and enjoyable. Uh, you know what I always say? I like people say, "Do you like writing?" And I always say, uh, to be precise, I like having written. <laughs> I like I like talking about it in oh, hindsight. Yeah, it, you know, yeah. it's uh, I'm proud of the work we did. Uh, but while you're doing it, it's like you know, do I enjoy pulling my own teeth out one by one? No, not so much. Uh, I like I like the feeling when it stops, you know. Yeah. But uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the hardest. For me personally, the hardest. It's no one character uh, on Breaking Bad. I, I felt they were all. I enjoyed writing all of them. The hardest scenes to write for me are scenes that that involve like technical jargon or what stuff that I don't really understand. And then you got to go get help. If, if right. Walt, for instance, is talking chemistry, as he does in the episode where. Uh, that really tense long scene where Gus Fring shows up at the super lab after uh, after uh, uh, Gail Bedecker's murder by Jesse, and he starts oh, and he goes and he, uh, putting on the the yeah, waterproof yeah. Uh, outfit, and he gets <laughs> yeah. the he gets the, uh, the the carpet knife, you know, yeah. the the box cutter, and and Walt has to spew a lot of of chem chem talk at that point, yeah. chemistry stuff about he's trying so hard. He's trying so, and and I didn't, you know, and I. And I hate just writing blah, 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 and then filling it in later because I'm very linear in my writing. I want to start at the beginning and write all the way through, and I don't want to leave big swaths of, you know, uh, you know, I'll fill this in later. So because uh, I'm real, I don't know, weird, weirdly neurotic that way. But we had a great deal of help from uh, Dr. Donna Nelson uh, at the University of Oklahoma, who's a uh, head of the, I think she heads the chemistry department there, but she's a. Hope so. Hope so. I mean, I, I think she's ahead of the department. She's definitely a very smart chemist uh, who knows her stuff. And so I got in touch with her, uh, and she said, "Why don't you have him say this? Have him say that?" And and I'm just, I'm, you know, like typing this stuff down. I don't even. It's just like Greek, you know, because I never, I never actually took chemistry. But those are the hardest scenes to write when you're talking legalese or, or doctor talk or chemistry talk stuff that you're not a natural at. But I found all the characters. I loved writing for all the characters. I didn't. Uh, I didn't love one more than the other. They were all sort of my babies, you know. They're all sort of my children. I kind of loved them all. Saul was particularly fun to write for. I yeah. Oh, I would. If, I'm, yeah, if yeah. I'm being honest, here, it's I Saul, would imagine. Yeah, because he's just. That's the because the rest of the time, sort of what we were talking about. We were talking about Wilder Napalm. 
most of these characters don't try to be funny or glib or witty, except for Saul Goodman. Because yeah. he talks a mile a minute, so writing his dialogue was probably more more often it was it was it was it was a little more fun. I and I said this to the panel too. I think Saul is the most grounded character simply yeah. because yeah. he's the only character yeah. who does not live a double life. He admits yeah. exactly who he is. Yeah. There's no struggle between a perception and yeah. who he is. He's just that guy, and, and he shows his fear. Too. And he's as com- yeah. he's he's yeah. he's the he's the most comfortable with himself of all the characters. Absolutely true. He he is the most honest with himself. This is who I really am, and he's the most comfortable with himself. You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a there was a thing that in the uh, the Walking Dead comic books they did where they um, they actually ended up putting out a novel with the backstory of what the character Rise of the became. Governor yeah Rise of oh, the Governor yeah right on. and I I always like uh, ever since Gus went away I've always wanted to just have someone <laughs> what happened write a in novel. Chile yeah I want to know that whole how yeah. he got all these connections yeah. how he came into the only reason yeah. you're not dead is because I've heard of you yeah because yeah. yeah 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 we uh, we. Purposely uh, uh, never answered that. Prequel movie. <laughs> Prequel movie. Prequel movie. But maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe so. Fring I'm, it on. Yeah. Come on, guys. No. Fring it. Yeah, I take back everything fring I said it. about it. Yeah, fring it. This this fall on AMC. Fring it. Uh, yeah. See, now that's exactly the kind of comment where people are like, how dare you host Talking Bad? I'm not going to say fring it on no. on the show. It should just oh, be called I fring. I guarantee you will. Go fuck yeah. yourself, man. I guarantee you will. It should just be called fring and everyone think they're tuning into uh, new episodes of Fringe. Like, oh, I guess it must have been. <laughs> It up, in an alternate way. universe, they, they spell it wrong on the. Uh, yeah, you know, on the, uh, you know, the, the Time Warner guys. Yeah, know they but they TV want guys ratings, spell it wrong. Are you? Is, is there? Is, <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about this at all. But there are some Better Call Saul swirling rumors. Is oh, there? Yeah. Is there anything oh, yeah. to talk about there? I'm swirling up a lot of myself uh, whenever I can. Keep no, I, 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 uh, I. Uh, the best way to answer that is I very much want it to happen. Peter Gould, who who uh, created the character, uh, the first time Saul Goodman ever, uh, ever, or, you know, the, the moment he arrived on scene was back in season two in an episode written by Peter Gould, one of my excellent writers. And Peter and I have been talking uh, about uh, what a what a spinoff would look like, uh, a Better Call Saul spinoff. And we've had a lot of fun talking about it. And... Uh, and I hope, and he hopes that uh, that we can we can get it made. Do you see it more as a as as a comedy or? Yeah, but you know, not an out and out comedy, not not a sitcom. Uh, Breaking Bad, not like a Lou. It's like remember the Lou Grant spinoff of Mary Tyler Moore. Right, it's right, like, right. Oh, they went drama and this music. This will be more like After Mash. After Mash. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, uh, it's uh, you know, it's Archie Bunker's place. Archie Bunker's place. Shouldn't you, want less laughs? Shouldn't you just call it Mash? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, uh, it's. Uh, we want to do it. We want to do it right or not at all. Sure, so we, sure, sure. if if uh, if it if it if it uh, dawned on us at the eleventh hour that we don't really have a show here, we we wouldn't do it. But I think we really do. I think we could have fun with it. I think people would enjoy it. I think people love the character. And you know, the funny thing about Breaking Bad, you know, no pun intended, is how much humor there is in Breaking Bad. Oh, and the, we we did that on purpose. You could cl- absolutely make a montage of Walt throwing a pizza on the roof, yeah, yeah, stopping, yeah, yeah. breaking. So it made it fun. seem like it was an ABC family. Comedy <laughs> I, I saw that. It was great. Yeah, it was great. It was wonderful. It's, it's like they put a laugh track in. Yeah. They did the whole intro. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? I'm yeah. back. So, <laughs> in your mind, because we we're kind of coming to the end of our time with you, and I, right. I, I honestly I would like to talk to you for four more hours, but I don't I don't want to force <laughs> you to do that. You're going to be doing plenty of that in the next couple <laughs> weeks. But um, you know, sometimes I see on television where writers will or a showrunner will 
throw out all these insane things at the audience, and right. the, and they're able to keep the audience invested. Right. And then at the end, they just kind of go, well, yeah, and they don't really wrap it up. Like, there's no real, they don't really feel, right. you know, maybe the, either they can't, because they wrote so crazy out that they couldn't find a satisfying way to end. Do you feel like, uh, are you satisfied with the way the show, I mean, and I don't know if people would be like, well, what's he going to say? But are you satisfied with where the show ends up? Do you feel like it's tied up nicely? Are you, are you Vince, do you feel like it's okay to walk away from it now? I do. Uh, and I didn't for the longest time. I mean, I knew, I knew uh, intellectually. I mean, I, 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 I just knew, and every viscerally, every which, viscerally, whatever, any which way you want to slice it, I knew that this show had a, had a limited shelf life. I knew that by its very design, as I was talking about earlier, this, this show needed to end. It, it was not a show uh, designed to go on indefinitely. And I did not want to overstay our welcome. I, I wanted, I, I, I am, have been so heartened and flattered and, and, and taken so much pride and joy in, in how many people love this show and pay very close attention to it and are able to talk about it uh, on a, to a minute level of detail that escapes even me sometimes. Sorry. I, no, I, and I love it. And I love it. Every time it happens, I'm just overjoyed. I'm like, God, this is fantastic. I love that I had a hand in something that this many people pay this close attention to, especially in this day and age where our attention is constantly being tugged on by a, a great many things, a great many mediums, media. Uh, and so, well, my long-winded way of saying all this, I knew it needed to come to an end. So for the past year or more, knowing that, I'd say to my writers, how are we going to end this thing right? How are we going to make this thing satisfying and fitting? And how are we going to – and I, there, we hit some dark nights of the soul where I'm like, we're screwed. We, 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 we can't get there from here. We can't – and I had some times where I was like uh, in the past year where we're like, I don't think we're going to make it. I think we're going to disappoint people. And listen, the audience is not a monolith. Uh, audience – there's a great many different ways you can come to a show like Breaking Bad and a great many ways you can see it. And uh, there will be people out there who are disappointed by the ending. I'm sure there has to be because there will be people out there who have it already in their mind the way it should end. Yeah, well, because the witness yeah, protection. This is, this yeah, but Malcolm, in the, Malcolm in the middle. in the middle, exactly. This is one of those shows, though, that you you form such an intimate relationship yeah. with it yeah. um, that you kind of get a little precious about the show because it it really does. It hits you on so many. It hits you on a molecular level, and 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 so there are some people who it's just like even if they don't know exactly what it is, yeah. there's a way that yeah. it you know yeah. how could it not end yeah. this other way? Yeah. But but as long as you feel satisfied with it, I feel satisfied, uh, and I didn't for the longest time. But we we I mean or, or rather I, it's not that I I didn't like the direction we're heading, but I had those dark dark afternoons of the soul, I should say, where I'm like, oh God. We took a wrong turn. We don't have time to go back and rejigger everything. How are we going to fix everything? Ah, we don't have time. Oh God! And then one of my writers would slap slap the hysteria out of me, you know, <laughs> figuratively speaking. Get all yourself. Get all to yourself. Be a man. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so then, uh, but I am very happy to say that I am satisfied with the ending. It was hard fought. It took a hell of a lot of effort, uh, but we came up with something that I am proud of. I feel like. Uh, uh, I feel good about it, and and perhaps not everyone will agree with me, but I I hope uh, that uh, the majority of viewers will will uh, will agree. I feel good about do it. You that's, feel like, that's the best I can ask. And for. do you feel like do you feel like the show will give people a 
sense of closure. It absolutely will give yes. There 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 is absolutely a sense of closure to these final eight episodes. Whether it's the closure that you want is uh is up to you to decide and to uh to to give voice to after these eight air, but yeah, we we uh we 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 close the story. It's well, kind of funny that yeah. you could build a thing like this show and then ultimately become afraid of it because it kind of takes yeah. on its own oh, yeah. life yeah. because people attach so much of their own yeah. souls to sure. it when they when they watch. Sure, well, I saw that on the X Files. I learned that on the X Files, and uh, it was a lesson I had not prior to that. I had not learned, and 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 those characters, Mulder and Scully, people people they were they were the fans and they'd get mad at you this is why this is when and why i stopped reading the internet or stopped reading this stuff you know i hear anecdotally things now from from folks i work with but i <laughs> I, I i don't uh, i can't you know because ironically the, the x-files started the internet so you know they, yeah, it really <laughs> it was really it really did you're right and uh but and it was a wonderful thing and it and it and it served us wonderfully uh on the x-files and it served us wonderfully on breaking bad and god bless the fans who are that vocal and that passionate but i i can't it's i can't i can't uh avail myself too much of that uh or really at all because it it'll 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 mess it'll mess with your steering as it were when you're yeah, and, when you're steering the story it'll 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 and you, uh, and you feel good about you feel good about five seasons as opposed to like i mean x files was what nine or ten nine, nine or uh, ten two hundred and two episodes yeah 202 202 well 203 if you count the two parters as the no i'm, I'm i think that's the no, is it 202 yeah, 202 okay yeah. Yeah. yeah uh so you 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 feel like five seasons good or would you would you would you want to try to would no, you want it you know what one of the things I I, I I feel very i don't i'm not a guy who feels at peace very often <laughs> i feel i feel creatively at peace oh good i feel sad personally that this show is over because it's i i and i fear the future and i fear you gotta fight the future i have to fight yeah like it actually i gotta fight the future uh i fear yeah i'm gonna change the tagline a little i fear the future because i fear that i will never have a job this good ever again i will never have this level of creative satisfaction i won't work with this wonderful bunch of people again i fear that in other words it'll all be downhill for me personally from here but when i when i fear when i feel myself getting nervous that way the best thing i can say to myself is you had it you're lucky to have had it most people don't you got really lucky and you might have said that coming off x-files too and then you get breaking bad well you know i probably did say that about x-files uh well then shut up come (laughs) on it's but i you know you don't win the lottery three times I've seen it happen. Norman Lear. How many shows did Norman Lear create? Well, that's true. Come on. Listen, I you know I don't want to I don't want to psych myself out. I want to go on and do other things, but I, I have I, anything I, yet or no? Well, I mean the Saul Goodman thing. We'd we'd love to see it get going, uh, but uh, I'd like to try something after after we get that rolling because I really think that that should be Peter Gould's sh- show. Mm-hmm. He's earned it, and uh, we're going to get it off the ground together. But I, then I think it's it's going to be his. Who, and and by the way, all my writers are ready to go off and run their own shows, hmm. which yeah. which troubles me a little bit because if I get something going, they'll off be doing they'll mm-hmm. all be off doing their own. Thing. Well, that's when you hire a bunch of prison Nazis to knife them with pointed <laughs> toothbrushes <laughs> so they don't take over your business. Yes, yeah. damn it. Yeah. Hey, I like the way you think. Can, in the Saul show, can Matt Jones's Badger be Saul's assistant? Oh my God, I, uh, that's fun. I'm doing a cartoon <laughs> with fun. Matt Jones right now. Oh, he's brilliant. And yeah, when he plays this, he plays a hilarious character in this yeah. this cartoon I'm doing for Nickelodeon and uh, all I can hear when he does the hey guys why don't we go over here it's like all I can hear is Badger 
the whole I time. And by the way, Charles Baker plays Skinny Pete, just as brilliant. How about that fucking moment yeah. where it's, he's playing? He's playing Solfagetto. He's playing. The, yeah. the, oh yeah. That's, oh a, yeah. That's a, that's oh, a, yeah. That's a that's a CPE Bach like arpeggiated. Yeah, yeah. That is a fucking hard piece of music to play. Wow. And he's and and did. Were you, you, know, were you just like, oh, he can play? I'll just throw that in well, there. Well, you know what? There, that's a, a good answer to the, one of the earlier questions. Uh, what did you learn from your actors that, that, that changed the way you wrote for them? That's a great, very concrete example yeah. right there. When we learned that Charles Baker, who is really nothing at all like Skinny Pete yeah. uh, in real life, and in fact, I, think is, I don't think he even drinks, let alone does drugs. I mean, he's just, he's just a sweet guy who I believe is a grandfather. Oh believe, my God! <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. He is uh, he is about my age, which uh, means that uh, he's playing uh, 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 older than than than. Uh, I mean, he's a he's a youthful looking guy. He's a yeah, but that's kind of a genius idea to cast an older actor to play a younger meth head. Oh, he, good point. He's uh, well, he's just he was just great. He just we we just he came in our our excellent casting people brought him in and we said you know send him to wardrobe but he when i learned uh, my writers and i learned that he was a very talented musician he's talented in a great many ways one of them being music we said we we got to get that in there that's what made that like that's what made me feel so bad for skinny pete where it's just like it's like this fucking meth head that just knows how to do this thing yeah. and he's not using it in his life at yeah, all yeah, no yeah, like yeah. that was like it's like oh what were you doing yeah what was your life before this well you know and and we honestly we got the idea as I just said from the fact that he could do it in real life. But you know what it puts me in mind of? You remember American movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah I which love it. I Coven. F- fucking yeah, Coven. Yeah. Which I fucking I love that movie. Love that movie. The guy, the the I'm forgetting oh, the, the, the buddy. buddy. The buddy. Yeah. He's like brilliant yeah, on the so guitar. Good guitar. And I'm like, so fried. like, come on, man, do something with that. Yeah, I, I, he's line, brilliant yeah. on the yeah. So yeah. made, oh, me, th- made right me think right of that. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a lefty. Coven. Uh, I think it's on the DVD. I think I have. You know what? Those guys, I, it's been a while since I've seen Coven, but I, I watch a American movie over and over again. I, yeah. I love those guys. Yeah, just... I love it so much. Coven, because uh, when we saw the movie, it came to the film festival in my town, and then like we wrote the guy, and he sent us copies of Coven ah. autographed. And uh, I fell asleep the first three times trying to watch it. <laughs> and it's like a 40-minute movie. But you know what? You know what? The guy's got, the guy's got an eye. Maybe he should, you know, cinematography-wise, I, I just remember a lot of the footage is really nicely yeah, composed. Yeah, like the big shots of the snow and the trees yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a good composition in yeah. that movie. Well, yeah, as, yeah. As, you can watch Ed Wood movies, too. As we're, sort of, as we're sort of wrapping it down, I do want to give you one standing ovation for naming the Gus Fring death episode face-off. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, that was, was you know what? Night? You know what? That was another executive note. Had a, 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 a lovely young woman named uh, Susan Goldberg, who we all call McGee. Uh, she said, uh, she said, uh, uh, Hey, why don't you call a face off? And I was, she was joking and I said, that's brilliant. And she said, no, no, that was a, please. That was a joke. I said, she, come on. What, what, what better name than that? Yeah. So great. that was, uh, that was an executive note. And also you don't see, there's not a, there's not really that much gore on the show. Which made that? Yeah. I mean, there's there's yeah, a yeah. lot of like bang yeah, bang yeah, shooting, yeah, yeah, yeah. but there's yeah. not but there's not that much yeah. like go- there's bone. there's there's a lot of violence, but not so much gore. Yeah. Yes, yeah, you don't even point. it's not it's not yeah, like yeah. it's not like you see the yeah it's not like you see the people dissolved in the barrels. All it's like oh you yeah, see yeah. the barrels they're pouring. Okay, yeah. you know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, except for that first season when oh, it dripped through the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 that shot of of Gus's the half face. Yeah. 
Um, was did you when you were writing that when you guys were writing that were you like it has to go this far? Yeah, yeah. It was an idea. It was an image I had in my mind uh, literally months before we got to it, and it was uh, it was the result. It was, it was like a moon launch. It was you would imagine you know getting the Apollo astronauts to the moon took a lot of a lot of all hands on deck. That shot did too. Not quite as as hard as getting to the moon, but uh, it took uh, uh, first of all. Um, Wonderfully uh, operated and, 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 and shot by Michael Slovis, the DP. Uh, it was the explosion at the beginning when the door blows off. That was, uh, that was a nitrogen dump tank that, that dumped an, an intense amount of pressurized nitrogen and blew the door off its hinges. If you'd been standing in front of it, it would have killed you. Yeah. And you got to use nitrogen. And this was all the, the, the special effects department, the, the physical effects, led by a guy named uh, Werner Hanlein. You got to use nitrogen because if you use just compressed air, the jets of, of 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 decompressing gas become visible. These white plumes that look like uh, fire extinguishers. So you got to use pure nitrogen. So they're telling me all this. I don't know any of this shit. And so they 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 pull that off in one take, that explosion. And then a guy named Bill Pulowski, who's our brilliant visual effects uh, producer. Uh, he marries uh, the follow-up take, which is us uh, bringing the camera around to uh, to Giancarlo Esposito's face. I did. I was directing that day. I did 19 takes of that second half of the shot, which is married seamlessly in with the first half of the explosion. Mm-hmm. You can't tell the the one frame of the one take from the other frame of the new take. It's just amazing how. Because he has group. to, he has to look flawless in profile. Yeah, he has to look flawless in profile, and then you come around, and then K and B Effects, who does all oh. the amazing zombies yeah. for Nicotero. Walking Dead. Uh, Howard Berger, Greg Nicotero came up with this uh, sculpt. They and their guys sculpted. They cast, uh, did a life cast of Giancarlo's face, sculpted away all the all the damage. Uh, and did this amazing head, and and Bill Pulowski married it. Uh, on the computer, uh, the, the sculpt to uh, Giancarlo Esposito's real face, and uh, just I don't even know how they did it. It's like magic. It's like wizardry. Yeah. But uh, it was the result of of a great many tens of thousands of man hours of discussion and, uh, and and hard work to to make that shot look as as relatively. You want it to look simple. You want it to look like oh yeah, it's just it's a wonder. Yeah. It was it was indeed not a wonder, but it but it's meant to look that way. Well, um, it's, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be an it's gonna be an intense eight weeks for you. I mean, your work's really much done, pretty much, right? It's just yeah. now it's just yeah. you're just kind of waiting for it to all get out there, yeah, and yeah. You, you're probably kind of excited for it to. Uh... Very very excited. I'm I I I. It's one of those things. I simultaneously want want this moment to last forever, where people haven't seen it yet. You know, because it's it's. It's because I always loved as a kid. I loved the night before Christmas more than Christmas itself. But you still want to be able to talk about but, it. But on the other hand, I want to be able to talk about it. So I'm I'm impatient, just as I was as a kid on the night before Christmas. I want I want everyone to have seen them all already because I'm really excited to see people's reaction to it. Yeah. So. Well, congratulations. Oh, thanks, uh, and it's an honor to be able to uh, do the the after show and uh, and we'll have fun and oh, it's gonna be awesome. And you'll be the, you'll be one of the first guests on the show yeah. along with uh, Ju- Julie Bowen, who apparently is fanatical about it. Awesome. And. Uh, uh, and uh, it's good to see you, man. Thank you good, so great much. Great to see you too, Chris. All right, guys, this was fun. Thanks, was Vince. A lot of Thanks. fun. Enjoy your burrito. Awesome. So cool. when we do it for real. <laughs> oh, that old chestnut. <laughs> oh, whenever it runs long, it's always a good joke to throw it. Man, I really can't thank you enough. Oh, this I was think fun. Uh, this was fun. Man. I really, I enjoyed it. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Now, you guys are, you guys are, you guys are, you guys are. Oh, thanks, you guys man. Are, you guys are, you guys are,
Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.